When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Real quick before we get started, we just wanted to thank Jason Lee for carving up the time to hang out with us and geek out about film photography and give some great answers and just to hear, you know, his story and all that stuff. We were super excited to get him on the show and, you know, definitely the number one fan requested guest that we've had to to bring on the show. So, Jason, thanks so much. And yeah. Here you go, guys. Here's the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Tim. I'm Chris. And today on the show, we have Mr. Jason Lee. Hey, Jason. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I will tell you that you're our most requested guest. For sure. (laughs) By far. So we're excited to have you on. Uh, For our listeners who may not know you, can you kind of give us a background on yourself and how you got into photography and all that? Well, in the early skateboarding days in the uh, the 90s, I was using a lot of Super 8 film for the mm. for the stereo skateboards videos that we were making. And so I was I was definitely interested in film as early as I would say 93, 94. I was around a lot of skateboard photographers of course, mm-hmm. but I I was just kind of so focused on skateboarding and on making the videos that I I hadn't yet really taken an interest in photography. And then after skateboarding, I got into acting and it was basically through that that I sort of, in a way, remembered that I used to use a lot of Super 8 film. Mm -hmm. And and I was working on a film in 2002 and kind of just one day I, you know, because actors kind of do their thing and then the crew, they kind of do their thing and Mm -hmm. actors are busy kind of memorizing their dialogue and being directed. And there's usually a pretty big gap between sort of the, the world of the actor and the world of the of the camera department. Yeah. So just kind of one day on this set. Um, 17 years ago now, I kind of just looked at the big Panavision camera and, and it all just, it, it just became interesting to me. I don't really know why exactly or what, what was this, the, the, what the spark was in that moment. But, and then I just started talking with the camera guys, like oh, cool. what's, what, what, what kind of film are you using? Um, <laughs> in the, in the early stereo days, I was shooting a lot of super eight film is it the same kind of film? And what are all these lights? And mm-hmm. and then I just kind of went from there. And uh, I bought a Bolex 16 millimeter camera, oh, nice. uh, a Mamiya RZ67, and a Leica M6. And I basically just started picking the brains of of these camera guys and dove headfirst into it. Started taking notes, experimenting with pushing and pulling different film types and and experimenting with lighting and color temperature. And I'd heard for the first time things like 18% gray. Yep. And I bought a spot meter and I went to New Mexico and studied with Alan Ross for a minute. Uh, he, I think to this day, still prints the Ansel Adams negatives. Oh, wow. So that was probably like 2002 or three, maybe. So basically, right after that film shoot, you know, I, you know, I would go back to my hotel room and, and I would take the cameras out and I would shoot. I had the Bolex on a tripod and, and I was shooting with the Mamiya RZ67. And, and then I found out about this guy, Alan Ross, and he, he did, uh, he did classes in his dark room and he'd go out. And of course you would use your spot meter and you would expose for the shadows and, and then you would, you know, burn and dodge and do all the printing in the dark room. And I did that with him. And, and then from there, I kind of just kept taking notes and experimenting and learning everything I could about film. And, and, uh, I've, basically been hooked ever since that's the best 
Sorry for keeping making that so long. I tried to keep it short, but that's, I mean, that's basically the gist of how it kind of started for me. Now, have you ever, because around that time, 2002, three, that's mm -hmm. when I went to photography school and we were all, we were basically still in the dark room and still shooting mm -hmm. a film. But then like right after that is when like the digital craze to mm -hmm. kind of took over. Did you ever pick up a digital camera along the way or have you always been strictly film? Only film. Um, nice. Yeah, only film. I didn't I didn't really think that the two were similar or I just didn't really think about it. You, you know, you I I don't know. I just that's that's all I've ever known is film and so it just it it wasn't a and I, I don't really give too much thought to sort of new technology mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily think that just because something is new it's better. True. Um and film has always just sort of been synonymous with photography just for me personally. And, and I, I tend to appreciate people that still use film and filmmakers that still use film for their movies. There's just, the difference is just very, very noticeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I never, never got in, into the, into the digital thing. Man, so when you were shooting the Bolex, was that, mm -hmm. was that just like home movies or were you out like shooting something specific with that? Um, not, it was really just to, to experiment. So, you yeah, know, I was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, learning about neutral density filters and I was learning about, you know, okay, so I, I've got this Kodak vision stock, it's 500 tungsten. So I need an 85 filter if I'm going to shoot it outside, which brings it down to ISO 320. Sometimes, you know, we do night shoots and then I'd come back early in the morning and mm -hmm. I'd be tired, but I'd want to burn some film. And so I would put the Bolex on a tripod and I would do a time lapse of the sun coming up. Oh, cool. You know, oh, with cool. the long of, of the city below. This was this would have been Vancouver, Canada. And um Shooting, you know, with the Polaroid back on the RZ67, uh, exposing a ton of sheets of Polaroid film. And that, we can talk about that too, but that, that, that's where my interest in Polaroid film came mm. about. Um, and a, a lot of it had to do with just kind of the excitement of having this, these cameras and wanting to learn as much as I could. And, and so it was, it was always nice to get those those instant results with the Polaroid film, but then I ended up falling in love with the tones of the black and white uh, Polaroid <laughs> yeah. pack films. So yeah, it was just a time of, oh, this is, you know, the, the way I discovered skateboarding. Once I, I clicked in, I never stopped. Same with photography. Mm -hmm. You know, once I, once I clicked into it and realized that, you know, this is something that you can practice, learn about, gain knowledge about, and hopefully get better at doing i you know just like with skateboarding and and acting it's it became sort of the next thing for me and so i, I you know i became very sort of studious about it and and i i'm i'm an avid note taker and this was kind of i don't know if the internet was really i think there would be chat uh, message boards that oh, i would yeah. sometimes ask questions mm -hmm. on or yeah uh look at just look at books and read and just kind of gain as much knowledge as i as i could and then of course you abandon all that Right. Which I did. <laughs> I had a studio in, in downtown LA. Ugh. And this was when rent there was very cheap <laughs> still. The dream, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, of course, I bought naturally, as I should have, having sort of that, ha having had that spark kind of hit on a movie set and wanting to learn about lighting and, and these, these other characteristics. I bought lights. I bought strobes. <laughs> I bought uh, Aeroflex. Uh, hot lights and with barn doors and gels and, and, and scrims. And, you know, so I was shooting in window light. I was shooting with strobe light with soft boxes and, you know, just almost daily and nightly for a while. And then my first road trip with my eight by 10 camera in 2006, once I was out on the road and, and kind of felt for the first time that that's where I belonged. When I got back from that first road trip in 2006, I basically had a garage sale in my loft and, and <laughs> got rid and of it sold, all. <laughs> yeah. And wow. I, yeah, I, I sold, I sold all my lights and light stands, and I, I, I kept the Aeroflex hot light set for shooting motion picture yeah, film. Yeah. The I kept the movie lights, but yeah. everything else I got rid of, and and I've kind of been an exterior kind of out on the road photographer ever since. 
man. I feel like we all kind of go through that phase, though, of like doing strobes and lights. I mean, I feel like it's a it's a part of the game, you know, like you kind of yeah, figuring to learn. out your style. You yeah. learn so much about light when you play with light. So I think it's a big part. Yeah. In, but yeah, I kind of did the same thing. Bought all the bought all the lights and then sold all the lights after I went through that phase. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's great. I mean, you know, there's a lot of obviously really talented portrait photographers oh, sure. and yeah. studio photographers out there. It's just, it just, you know, it was it was a necessary thing for me. And of course, I learned a great deal. And then, of course, after that, I was really tuned in on all future work that I would do as an actor. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, okay. you know, I yeah. knew about I knew about uh, depth of field. Mm-hmm. I knew about, you know, uh, focal lengths and um, I knew all about the lighting. And 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 so I, I and then as an actor, strangely, it sort of felt like it, it gave me a unique sort of sense of confidence just in terms of oh, interesting feeling com- uh, connected and, and sort of complete as a performer. Yeah, yeah being on sets when I understand exactly what's going on. You know, the axis and eye lines and the right. wider the lens, the tighter the eye line has to be to the lens. Otherwise, it looks like you're looking way off camera mm-hmm. um, and, you know, not connected to the actor's eyes who's standing off camera and, you know, as camera angles move and, and these things. So, yeah, it was, it, you know, so it was it was good that I, I understood all of that stuff it was very, very beneficial to me. And then, you know, and then I kind of let all of that go and mm-hmm. have, have been using natural light ever since with the exception <laughs> of some music videos I've shot with the Bolex and I, where I've used the, the movie lights. But other than that, it's, it's kind of been outside for the last 13 years. That's great. That gives you kind of a creative advantage being an actor too, kind of knowing where everything is. Mm-hmm. On set, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Do you direct at all, Jason? Uh, that's something I'd like to get more into. But yeah, I mean, I I I've, I made a short film in two thousand six, mm-hmm. and I've directed some music videos and some documentaries and a yeah. lot of sixteen millimeter stuff. Yeah, little little bits and pieces of things here and there. Um, but yeah, I certainly love it. It's it's really no different than than photography in 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 some ways, you know. Yeah. Man, we got we got to talk about your Polaroid, your Polaroid yeah. phase. <laughs> oh yeah. What drew you to to shooting? I mean, we know Polaroid kind of vanished, and then right. Fuji kind of took over on that end, and then they they're kind mm-hmm. of gone now. So what, yeah. what? How did you get into the peel apart stuff? Well, like I had said, you know, I I I, I had the Mamiya RZ67 when I was up in Canada. I bought it from a camera store. It's so depressing how cheap those cameras are these days. I paid so much for my <laughs> RZ kit. Uh, with the grip and the Polaroid oh, back man. and the lenses. And anyway, I like I had said, I was shooting a lot of the Polaroid pack film with the RZ. And I absolutely loved the, uh, the I think it would have been the 604, mm. the 100 speed. Really kind of charcoal-like, beautiful mm. gray tones. Mm. I was blown away by by the film. And and I, I had learned that a lot of, you know, people were using that film to sort of, you know, pre-digital to sort of test their kind of studio conditions and then they would put the 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 conventional film magazines on the back and then shoot the quote unquote real photos which is crazy to think about that it was just kind of like a throwaway it was a test a test test lighting it's like i I was interested in in the polaroid stuff i thought this is just the most beautiful black and white tones Mm -hmm. i'd ever seen and and then i discovered that polaroid made that film in eight by ten So of course, immediately I go online <laughs> and I buy an eight by ten camera. It's an old uh, kind of beat up nineteen thirties uh, Century Universal, and it had on it uh, two ten millimeter wide field Wallensack lens. And I went to Sammy's camera on Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sammy's is now in Pasadena, and I just started buying eight by ten Polaroid film with some of that <laughs> acting money because it's not cheap. Wow. Uh, you know, for 15 exposures, it was like a hundred and something bucks a box. Oh, geez. Um, Man. And so I started with all the lighting and stuff when I still had that space in, in LA. I was, now I was exposing 8x10 Polaroid film with, you know, window light, strobe light, hot light, whatever, portraits, really experimenting uh, uh, with this film. And, you know, of course, when I peeled that very first 8x10 black and white Polaroid, mm. 
I can only imagine. I was was, was absolutely (laughs) mesmerized. It was stunning. And so a little bit of experimenting here and there. Uh, I would bring the 8x10 camera with me to the set of My Name is Earl from from time to time. And I shot photos of Ethan Suplee, who played my brother on the Mm, show. mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And those those ran in uh, a magazine called Anthem. So I was, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of this sort of kind of portrait stuff. And, and then I think just one day I, I had the idea to bring the eight by 10 camera with me out on the road. I didn't know of anybody that was exposing eight by 10 Polaroid film outside of studio, uh, studio setting. I had the plug-in processor because, you know, it's two, it's two separate sheets. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you put the negative in the film holder and then the positive goes in the, in the processor and then the two are joined by oh, a tab wow. and they go through the rollers and then you peel them and you get your print. So I thought, well, what do I do for a processor? So I found out that Calumet made a hand crank, crank. Yep. field yep. processor, right? So I, I bought one of those and those now, believe it or not, on eBay are sell for upwards of 1200 bucks. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, they do. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I, I had an SUV at the time. I put a clothesline in the back. Uh, I probably had about six boxes of 8x10 Polaroid film, black and white in color. My old Century Universal with my tripod. My loop, a dark cloth, and a light meter, and my Sharpie. <laughs> and I just kind of started driving around California. Amazing. And when I started seeing those 8x10 Polaroid prints out in the wild, I was absolutely ecstatic. I was, it was so exciting to, to know that I was making these instant eight by 10 prints on, on the side of the road. That's crazy. It was, it was really, really incredible. And then, and then I did another road trip with that camera and more of those films in 2007 and then kind of abandoned that. And then I basically went 35 millimeter and 120 black and white films for the next many, many years mm. uh, out on the road. And uh, happily and sadly at the same time, I still have about 20 something boxes of 8x10. Oh, yeah, I was film. just going to ask. <laughs> I, I say that, that the, the happy part is that I have them. The sad part is that most of the black and white uh, chemicals have dried up. Yeah. The color stuff holds longer, but it gets really streaky yeah, and it color yeah. shifts. But the black and white stuff crystallizes. Dang. But I've got those boxes anyway. And uh, in 2016, I went out on the road for the first time with the Polaroid films. I did a little road trip, Texas, and I went to Arcan- uh, Arkansas and, I, and with uh, a filmmaker friend of mine named Greg Hunt. Um, and he documented the struggle of me trying to find good exposures with my old eight by 10 Polaroid film. And it was, uh, so we want to kind of complete this movie. Basically, I want to take every last box that I have, whether it's good, bad, or somewhere in the middle and hit the road and expose every last sheet of it oh, that's- and, and see what I get whether it's full or partial chemical spreads on the, on the print and, we want to kind of finish this little documentary about <laughs> about the trials and tribulations and hopefully joys of, of me <laughs> getting through my my last boxes of the big Polaroid films. Oh man! So sometime sometime <laughs> relatively soon we'll we'll try to complete that project. But I want to I want to expose the last box or at least the last sheet in California somewhere because oh, cool. that's where it that's all where started. It started. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Love it. Uh, that's the thing about saving all those but like i have some you know fuji pill apart that i'm just like saving and it doesn't do any good in the fridge like i just gotta go shoot it yeah. and yeah you know what i mean because it's gone it's gone it's uh, <laughs> i have uh maybe 10 boxes of 3000 b i have a few boxes of 100 c i've got a few boxes of four by five 100 c but it's yellow mm. my 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 pack my pack the the three and a quarter by four and a quarter one hundred C that's all yellow unfortunately yeah um, yeah it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, it's kind of a sad thing it is yeah. technology tends to you know um, kind of wipe lots of things out in its in its wake unfortunately yeah I I hope in the future 
like society will realize that there's things we need to save and hold on to and not just like move on with I don't know it's like really sad it's tough yeah it is t- it's tough I get I guess the reasoning is that there 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 wasn't enough there wasn't enough demand right know? yeah you know but it was <laughs> it was fun while it That's lasted true. And, and we'll see what I can get from these remaining boxes of the Polaroid films that I have that's funny. Yeah, we can't wait to see how it comes out. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. With the same camera, by the way. Yes. Wow. I still, I still have that old Century Universal that I paid 400 bucks for on eBay. So you, you put together, didn't you do like a little book project with your, your Polaroids too? Wasn't that? Yeah. Well, after, shortly after I moved to Texas, uh, Chris Brown from Refueled Magazine, mm. a Florida-based yeah. yeah. uh, kind of creative magazine, he reached out to me and said, let's do something with your photography. And I said, oh, that, that's wonderful. I'm super flattered. Let's, let's do it. Um, and we were going to do a volume one instant film and a volume two conventional film. And uh, we just never got around to doing volume two. So mm. there's a hardcover 500 print edition of a of a refueled issue essentially that has a, a bunch of the Polaroid stuff in it from 2006 to, to 2016 including quite a bit of the original 8x10s mm. those are all gone right aren't the books yeah I was gonna ask can we still get them yeah <laughs> yeah those sold out yeah that's what Dang. I thought when they came out but I'm gonna you know at some you know what I'm gonna do is hopefully we get somewhat of a little documentary from Greg, who's just a great filmmaker. Oh, yeah, he's the best. And I want to do a book where maybe, you know, the first half of the book is all the original 8x10 Mm -hmm. Polaroids, and then the second half of the book is from all the expired Polaroids. That'll be cool. And kind of put section out the book in that way, you know, revisiting a dying medium. Yeah. Here, Here are the results, good, bad, and ugly. And at the beginning of the book, sort of here is what the film used to look like when you could buy it. Uh, off the shelf at a camera store. Wow. So that's probably within the next three or four years we'll get that done realistically. Yeah, yeah. That's a great plan. I love that. That's, I love like yeah. the – because, you know, we – just like Chris said, we all have boxes of this stuff sitting on our <laughs> fridge, you know, not getting – Yeah, we covered it. It's so depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. And I just scored a couple boxes of the old – You did. That's Polaroid, right. Well, that the 3000B and some Polaroid uh, 669 that works. It's that like – weird purpley looking i haven't been sharing anything yeah. yet but it's it's a really cool like abstract look because it's so aged and dated it doesn't definitely pull like it used to but it mm-hmm. you know it's still neat it's still neat to use and it is it is still neat yeah, yeah for for sure it just it goes through those shifts and- mm-hmm. yeah. do you shoot any polaroid originals impossible polaroid originals uh, like the time zero stuff no just the 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 new what was impossible project yeah, is the now new branded polaroid stuff. originals yeah that's yeah that's like the old time zero stuff um no i no i i never really i i had an sx70 and i you know i've exposed a few sheets of that film but i didn't really care for the mylar the really sheeny kind yeah, of shiny yeah. kind of plastic coating mm. Um, I like the sort of muted kind of matte quality of the peel apart, the print side of the peel apart film more than the sort of mylar spit out film, you know? Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. It is very shiny. It is like a pearl, a pearl sheen to it every time. Yeah. 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 But it's great that somebody's doing something to keep some of that going, obviously, you know? Yeah. We're hoping that uh, Doc, who, who, who did the Impossible Project... We'll be able to save yeah, pull, he, peel apart. Yeah, jeez. Uh, I guess Fuji would not give them the machine. Isn't that crazy? No. Like, what? Why? Like, yeah. why would you not? Uh, I'm, I'm still mad. Sorry. Don't let me. Yeah. Don't let me go yeah. off on a tangent. Yeah, three thousand B is really, really was really nice. Oh, it's but beautiful. The Polaroid six hundred four, and then the Polaroid eight hundred four. Mm. Uh, the eight by ten version of it, just unbelievable mm. film. I'm so glad I, I had the the good fortune of stumbling upon the large Polaroid films when I did. It's just such a special medium. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do a show or would you consider doing like a show along with the book if you ever? Yeah, that's that, that's, that would be the idea too, is to kind of show the original Polaroids. I've only ever shown one of the original Polaroids at a gallery in Los Angeles and it got stolen. No, <gasps> no I don't way. Know. I don't know if you know the Dennis Hopper Polaroid story. No, what um, happened? 
<laughs> I didn't know it got stolen. Is that recent? Was that not too long ago? No, this was years ago. This was like 2010. Uh, Jeremy and Claire uh, mm. uh, Weiss, sweet, sweet couple, great photographers. They had a really cool little gallery in uh, LA and there was a group show and uh, with 50 some odd photographers. Yeah. And, and you show one piece each, everything framed wow. in white frames and just like a big sort of salon style kind of yeah. exhibition. I was out of town, ironically in Vancouver, <laughs> um, filming a movie, and uh, I s decided that I was going to show the. I shot. A, I had the good fortune of being able to shoot a portrait on eight by ten Polaroid film of Dennis Hopper for Anthem magazine with the eight oh four film, that beautiful mm. gray Polaroid film at, at his house in Venice Beach. It took me about seven exposures. And of course I rip up the ones I don't like so that uh -huh. the one that you get is the only, the only one. one. It's a one-off. Um, and so I finally got the one that I wanted and, and Mr. Hop, uh, Mr. Hopper seemed to be pleased with it. And I was very happy with it and we scanned it and it ran in Anthem magazine. And so I framed that and I hung it at the gallery for this group show. And I get a call up in Vancouver that sadly uh, at the, the end of the night as the gallery was closing, somebody ran up to the wall and grabbed it and ran down the street. No with way. <laughs> that is so, uh, first of all, so ballsy. <laughs> oh man. So I, I had thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll scan it and do like a print, a, yeah. an actual size print and I'll show the original Polaroid. That might be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> oh my and God. after two plus <laughs> oh years, um, it was finally tracked down. Oh, and no we kidding. Were able to, you got it back? I got it back. Oh, yeah. yes. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's a portrait of Dennis Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily hugely important. It, it might not even be the greatest of portraits. Uh, but for me, it was very, it meant something uh, very personal to me. And, and technically speaking, it's the only 8x10 Polaroid of Dennis Hopper wow. ever to exist. Mm, and wow. And so it was naturally very relieving and somewhat emotional when, yeah, when we got I it bet, back. Man. Um, and it was un it was unscathed and it was okay and everything like that. And wow. did I it mean, like it was, show up in a gallery somewhere? And somebody was like, "Wait a minute." Well, we you know we we had a group of people that were willing to help us kind of try to find yeah. some people that maybe knew some people okay. that maybe knew some people. Uh, and, okay. And then over time, it was eventually sent back anonymously to the gallery from which it was stolen. Wow. wow. That's. What a story, man. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, anyway, so to go back to your question, yeah, uh, yeah I, I do. I, I, I think we, we are sort of planning on, um, on showing some of the original Polaroids from then and the, from, the, from the newer stuff. Just make sure you have like an alarm system like yeah. around. <laughs> a little chain attached to it. Go past the line it. it starts beeping. Or something. So if, if anybody's listening who would like to steal yeah. more 8x10 Polaroids, we'll, we'll be showing more in the future. <laughs> oh, man. At a location as yet, uh, not yet determined. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> Jeez. Man. That's crazy. So you have you have an exhibition going on right now, don't you? Don't you have a show or something going on? Yeah, up in Tulsa, yeah. Tulsa, uh, At okay. Philbrook Museum. Um, um, photos that I uh, made in Oklahoma last year. and mm. a, a project that's been going on for in the works for a year now. And we had uh, two openings uh, over the last two weekends. And now I'm kind of home just kind of decompressing after all that work. Mm. Man. Yeah, I couldn't imagine putting on like a big show like that. Like, uh, just just picking where the where the photos go would drive me nuts i would be like no nope, not good enough not good enough this one needs to go yeah, it, was, it was a lot of trips up to the museum and getting the schematics and the blueprints mm. and the dimensions and spending about three or four months with thumbnails laying out the exhibition yeah. based on the space and and then determining what prints would go with what and what sizes everything would be printed at and how we would frame everything and pair pair prints together and create grids and <laughs> yeah. It's 178 prints wow. and it occupies about 3,000 square feet of museum space. And Man, that's awesome. Very particular spacing yeah. between the, 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 the frames. And so, yeah, it was, it was my first time really kind of having to dive in yeah, and yeah. 
kind of designed something over the course of many months and and uh it it turned out it turned out pretty well and we we were all pleased and and uh so that's up through November at Philbrook. Tulsa's Tulsa is booming artistically right now. Philbrook is such a great institution. They're very supportive of artists. They have their main museum which is an old villa in Tulsa and then they have their sort of contemporary museum in downtown Tulsa in the arts district and that's where my my photos are are hanging uh and then in the adjacent gallery in their downtown museum are um some of the original Larry Clark Tulsa oh, prints. Okay. That's like oh, one wow. of my favorite series. Larry's Larry's the Yeah, they, the museum acquired uh, a, a portfolio of, of prints, I think from the seventies from, from that series wow. of his. So you've got sort of all my exterior kind of roadside Oklahoma. And then in the, the gallery next to mine, you've, you've got Larry Clark's black and white Tulsa prints. Yeah. Um, so the, those, those shows are going through November, I believe. November. Okay. Good to know. I need, yeah. I, I need a little road <laughs> trip. I need a little road trip in my life. Maybe. I'll... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tulsa is great. It's really great. They have a, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of money into the arts and they have a big artist fellowship there. And there's always pop-up exhibitions mm-hmm. and, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's doing, you know, the city is doing interesting things right now for the arts and happy to be a part of it. It's great. I love hearing that. I feel like that's, I feel like that's happening, happening a lot at a lot of different places, you know, like they're, right. they're really building up the arts in Nashville and stuff like that. I know, you know, yeah. like even where you're, there's a big art scene and you're what you're in Denton or is that where you're Yeah, at? I'm near De- Denton, yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Man. A lot of music, a lot of art mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, it, it's a little easier to accomplish when the place feels a little bit smaller. You yeah. Tulsa is mm. a great example of a city that feels like a big town. Mm. Yeah. And so we go, we'd go out to dinner and there would be artists sitting at the table, uh, you know, members of the artist fellowship with studios sort of given to them by the fellowship. And Man, that's great. You know, and you're just talking about cre- creativity and, you, you know, and it's everybody feels a little connected in, yeah. in a place that doesn't feel that's relatively big, but feels in, at heart kind of small you feel this sense of, of connection and community. So Tulsa is a great example of, 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 of that sense of artistic community that's happening yeah, that's great. In, in places like that. Yeah. That's a, I feel like we all need that. It really, I, yeah. it, it really makes things a whole lot different. Cause I mean, I couldn't imagine uh, like, like the area I used to live up North in the East in Pennsylvania, like central Pennsylvania and the arts are not an importance of anything there mm-hmm. and I just couldn't imagine still being stuck there doing what I do now you know just like sh- I mean it would be great to shoot because the the locations are great Pennsylvania's beautiful but just showing Even with you- Warhol up there like no, yeah. there's not a Warhol well, foundation that's, or that's like no? western Pennsylvania you know closer yeah, to Pittsburgh and stuff oh, okay. so I'm, I'm like more so close to like Philadelphia I mean there's don't don't get me wrong there's a huge scene in Philadelphia but there's also a lot of you know bad stuff going on as well Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of i feel like towns that that do more for the art community aren't as impoverished and grumpy and you know just like you know it's not as like the east coast is already like mad to begin with so (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize that well it's it's always that you know cold winters and uh you only get, especially like growing up as a skateboarder too. Like I used to skate when I was in my teens and twenties and stuff. And, you know, we have, you'd skate in the middle of winter and it was terrible. So you'd just be yeah. pissed off in Philadelphia, like skating, getting arrested and not, <laughs> not, not having the best time. Cause you only have summer like three months out of the year, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's hard to skate when it's that cold, that's for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. But I mean, it's yeah. you'd be surprised with the amount of dedication <laughs> in the cold and East Coast that there is. So many legendary skaters oh, have come from the sure. East Coast. So they, they got, they braved the uh, storm mm-hmm. and, and, and got through and we're thankful for that. For sure. Man. So what, what are you working on now? What's, what do you, you still doing the, the road trip stuff all the time or? Well, I'm, you know, Oklahoma was, basically off and on road trips through June and November of last year. Mm. And then in November, I started laying out the exhibition and that took a while. Simultaneously, I was slowly starting to kind of lay out the book 
I was, yeah, I was going to ask if there was a book rough to way. go along with it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, getting the exhibition together took from November through May. Wow. And now that the, now that everything's hanging and, and it's all there, I'm kind of just relaxing Taking for a, a few little days. break. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, working on the book, uh, the Oklahoma book, uh, which hopefully end of the year or early spring. Books are really, really hard to make. Yeah. It, it's a long process. Are you working with some a publisher on that or is that? That'll be independently published as the uh, under the... Uh, the film photographic name. Yeah. This one in in collaboration with the museum, of course. Uh, so yeah, that'll take an, a good kind of six months to, to get that done. So that's sort of the next thing that I'm working on. And then a publisher in the UK called Stanley Barker. They do some really beautiful photo books. Um, yeah, I've heard that name. I've heard that name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yeah. Um, they've done some really, really nice books. They've shown interest in wanting to publish a book of uh, black and white photos from from my archives. Oh, cool! Ooh, so we're cool. we're hoping to release that sometime in 2020, mm. and then I think in 2021 we want to issue a second printing of a Plain View, which is the Texas book that I did uh, last year. So there's a few books kind of on the horizon, but certainly I I get hungry for shooting photos, so I'll <laughs> yeah. I'll find time to go out on the road whenever I can over the coming months throughout all this book work. And I think it'll be necessary to take, to take those breaks and yeah. Yeah. Cause it burnout is a real thing. <laughs> Burn, <laughs> burnout can, can definitely happen. Yeah. There's a lot of technical stuff that yeah, goes into yeah. laying out a show or mm-hmm. working on a book and, you know, and so when you get for me personally, just like with skating, you know, when you get back on the board or you get back on the road and you're exposing film again, that ex- that special that very unique sense of excitement kind of returns to you and so i'll over the over all this these coming months of working on these book projects i'm definitely going to find time to get out on the the road and i think but in terms of a sort of place that i'm interested in i'm to go and kind of spend time off and on as i did up in oklahoma and before that in texas i would be louisiana oh uh, yeah um so I, I'm interested in going to New Orleans, which I've spent many, many months in over the years working on various projects as an actor, and but then also seeing Louisiana. Yeah, I was just there. I was in New Orleans in September, and I was mm-hmm. blown away. There, talk about an art scene. New Orleans, it's, there's yeah. no city like it in, in the it's country. It's incredible. But I also want to see Louisiana. Though. Right, yeah. right, right. You know right. what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. want to do something just on new orleans you know it, it's a part of louisiana mm-hmm. just as tulsa is a part of oklahoma right but, you know spending two weeks in tulsa and then going you know hundreds of miles northeast and northwest of tulsa and kind of all around the state you're really able to create real a big broad picture yeah. and real contrast between the sort of booming parts of a state mm-hmm. and the not so booming parts of a state and when you think of Louisiana, you think of New Orleans and you mm-hmm. want to show New Orleans, but you also want to show what else is out there. And that's what interests me. And so for, for whatever reason, I've been sort of thinking about Louisiana as a place to kind of kind of roam around and shoot some photos. So how does that work? Do you when you when you do these trips, do you drive like all the way there and then drive through the state or do you kind of just like fly in and then rent a car and do your thing? Or do you have like a specific way of no, doing I this? drive my own car? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Oklahoma is only about an hour from here. Oh, I keep forgetting you're in Texas. I don't know why I think yeah, you're yeah, in exactly. California all so, the time. You yeah. know, like, you know, okay, okay, guys, I'm going to leave for a week and go aimlessly drive around Oklahoma, yeah. expose a bunch of film and stay in hotels, motels, wherever I can stay. And, and you know, I feel like I want to go home now, go mm-hmm. home for a few weeks, a month, two weeks, a week, whatever, send film off to the labs and then, you know, kind of get back up there and, and just, it's all very spontaneous and just kind of played by ear. And, uh, and that's what it was in Texas and then Oklahoma after that. But when I lived in California and I would do Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado loops, that was obviously, those were trips obviously where I'd be gone for longer periods yeah, of time yeah. because I was reaching out pretty far going to mm. Texas. And I've done that a few times over the years. And, a lot of California and the Pacific Northwest and a lot of that 
black and white stuff, I think, is what we'll pull from for the Stanley Barker book. Mm. It's just being able to, you know, go and drive. Oh, and, it's the best. It's yeah. The, it's absolutely the best. Yeah. Yeah, I need that. I need that soon. <laughs> we all need yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's good to go out and see things. Yeah. And yeah. Drive and, for sure. You know. I drove across the country and I moved to L.A., and, you know, I was trying to get to L.A. because I was so excited to be moving here. So and I had a friend, luckily, who was like, we're going to slow down. We're going to we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to stop in Arizona, <laughs> like all these places. And I took, I shot a bunch of photos and I'm, I'm very thankful that I did because America's really beautiful. Yeah, it's a very strange, beautifully strange <laughs> country for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you, you, you did that. Yeah, I, I, I can't I can't drive. Yeah, I drive to L.A here and there and i always i have to have cameras on me right oh for sure (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and it's always nice to in a way that sort of christenberry you know william christenberry in hale county alabama for many decades he'd revisit hale county alabama and you know over the course of many years he would photograph a lot of the you know structures or some of the structures that he had photographed before and you see the the evolution of them over time and mm. just the idea of revisiting. So a lot of these photos that I've, you know, I have photos in towns and maybe even on streets and in some cases, even the same structure or scene mm. that I've captured 10 years ago. Wow. Kind of driving kind of back and forth between California and, and this part of part of America. And Seligman, Arizona, I always stop through there and eat at Westside Lilo's Cafe, which is amazing food. And, you know, it's always nice to kind of stop into these places that you're that you're familiar familiar with. And you see the the old gas station in uh, Seligman with its sort of mid-century big kind of winged lights that and I've photographed it totally trimmed and I photographed it completely overgrown. And it's it's always nice to kind of pop in at these little spots that you've seen kind of here and there over the years and see how they've changed. And so, yeah, the, the road experience is always really kind of important to me. Mm. I love that. There's so much to see too. There's just so much out mm-hmm. there, man. Well, real quick, before we hop into the listener question stuff, uh, you mentioned film photographic, like yeah, definitely, definitely say. a fan of film photographic. And what, 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 uh, what is that for our listeners that don't know mm. what what that is? Well, I didn't really know what Instagram was, and then I found <laughs> out, and then I wasn't into it. I was a I was an Instagram holdout for a long time, just as I was an iPhone uh, uh, mm-hmm. holdout. You know, I, I had a BlackBerry, and I refused to get an iPhone <laughs> when they came yep. out. Um, and then, you know, I started looking around at what I learned were called hashtags, and I discovered that there were millions of film related posts on Instagram. And I thought, wow, that's cool. I guess it's not just photos of people's cats and food, (laughs) as I'd heard it sort of was. Mm -hmm. There was a big film community on Instagram and film photographic was always something that I'd wanted to do in website form and eventually publish and and then it and then I just kind of laid laid it into Instagram. I've and that was 2015 and so some friends, um, Vanessa Green from New Zealand, she's one of our curators, Jay Ravel uh, from Tokyo, he's an old uh, Canadian skateboarder, writer, film shooter, Eric Bouvet and Raymond Molinar in LA. We all kind of bounce around and kind of post at Film Photographic. We used to do more guest curators. Mm. I want to do, do a little bit more of that. That was always fun to do. But basically, we just post people's film photos. Yeah, I guess it's like a Instagram film community account, mm. you know, that's been that's been a fun outlet and a way to meet lots of people because it's cool. You can follow hashtags now. That, that wasn't mm-hmm. a thing a while back. Yeah, but I, I've always been a fan of the film photograph. There's always just great work. You guys always share a bunch of really good stuff. And, you know, I always tag my stuff as that as well. So it's kind yeah. of- <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I will have a look. No, <laughs> no, no worries. No, no, that's not why I said it. But <laughs> uh, no, it's it's definitely been fun. It's sometimes a little hard to keep up with. Oh, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. But we've mm-hmm. got, you know, a good group of people. And like I said, I want to we've had some great guest curators and I'd like to do more publishing with it. But there, mm. I just never find the time. I've been really wanting to do these kind of annuals. Yeah. yeah. See, that would be so cool. Where you take, cool. you know, 50 yeah. photographers one year and you put some of their work in and then the next year you take another 50 or whatever it is. You yeah. know, you're doing these kind of like 
quarterly or annual kind of issues of Film Photographic Presents kind of thing. I've just, sadly, I've just never really gotten around to seeing that through. So hopefully one one day, but A Plain View was the first book with Film Photographic's name on it. And so that was exciting, but I'd like to do more, more publishing. And, but we've, you know, we've co-sponsored a handful of exhibitions, group shows, these, you know, uh, which has been great. San Francisco, Texas, LA. We want to kind of broaden that as well. That's been fun. Yeah. So it's, it's been a good thing uh, to do. I just want to do more with it. I just Mm. have to find the time. time. Yeah. That seems to be, we talk about that all the time with the podcast too. It's like, we want to do kind of like an annual uh, zine or book or something like that with either guests or listeners, you know, kind of collage. And you probably had that idea for like three years. Literally three years. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Literally. And it's just, just the time. Time is such a yeah. beast sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all, yeah, all the time, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. especially, when, especially when you get older. Yeah. Yeah. Time's not slowing down <laughs> by any means. <laughs> we'll be right back with some listener questions for Jason right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk also comes from Polaroid Originals. Go to PolaroidOriginals.com and use the offer code ANALOGTALK10 at checkout to receive 10% off your next purchase. All right, guys, this is a part of the show where we take some questions from our listeners. This question comes from Safe Light Labs, a.k.a. Rob. Hey, Rob. Hi, Rob. <laughs> he asks, in the digital age, how do you encourage more people to print their photos slash zines slash books? Oh, jeez. How, how do you encourage more people to print? Well, it's a good question because I think it depends on who wants to print their stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You have to want to print. And I think those that do, they find a way, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of zines on Instagram and I've received a lot of zines from film photographers that make their own zines and, you know, do print swaps. I've done print swaps with people or a print for a zine or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess all the people that are using iPhones and not even DSLRs, for example... I don't know that they're really interested in even printing, right? Because yeah. it's the Instagram age. It is. Um, so I guess it depends on if you want to print. Um, I and I guess the answer is if you want to print, you're you're already printing. Yeah, I think. Right. Um, I don't know if that's really the best answer, but I really do think it comes down to I don't know that many people want to print, but certainly you know. Huh, what else? What else would you say to that? <laughs> Well, I think like I think the resurgence of film or like the resurgence of printing. No, let me rephrase that. The importance, <laughs> not the resurgence. the The importance of printing your work has been a hot topic in the last couple of years. I feel like everybody's mm-hmm. like who's okay. into printing work. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm a big. I I usually print four by sixes of each roll that I do. I have a really nice Canon printer, and you know I'll just blow the money on printing four by sixes pretty much every time I fit. Mm. I mean, I won't print the, the dead shots, like the shots that don't, you know, that aren't sure. anything, but I'll usually print out like the keepers of a roll mm-hmm. and put them in a little photo album. And I mean, that's great. That's a, re- yeah. I mean, because there's nothing better than grabbing two of my photo albums and sitting out in the porch and just, you know, listening to the birds and flipping through my photo album mm-hmm. instead of, clicking on my Instagram account on my phone or on my computer. I yeah, mean, I, sure. I think it's, I think it's coming back, but I think a lot of people, like you said, like iPhone photographers and stuff like that, people that aren't really doing that, they don't, they don't even know. They don't even realize. They're that, not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I like mean, they, I don't know if you can push printing on somebody yeah. that printing isn't really even on their radar. Yeah. I think what like inspires me to print is like seeing other people's prints and like, yeah, yeah I think so. I stuff. mean, if you're interested in printing, there's certainly a lot to be seen on Instagram in terms of projects that people are working on. Zines are really popular, you know. Yeah. And another thing that I was a holdout on was digital printing, but I've embraced it because, you know, the pigment inks and the papers you can get, and, you know, that's that's a way that's a way to go. Yeah, yeah. That can be done certainly uh, far less expensively than sort of traditional printing. I, I you know... Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I certainly love to, to, to print and, you know, again, having been a, a holdout on that, you know, when I first started seeing samples of some of my four by five high res scans mm. digitally mm-hmm. output yeah. on fiber based papers with pigment inks and I could 
absolutely still feel the presence of the film and see the grain. And I did a lot of comparing too, you know, mm -hmm. I, I was really, really blown away. And so certainly that's a more economical and efficient way to see your work and you can buy printers for relatively cheap. Yeah. Now, you know, yeah, nowadays, man, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's changed a lot. Well, that's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Rob asked that as well because he just opened up a photo lab where he's doing printing dark, and like a dark community room. Community dark yeah, room. So yeah. he, he's probably thinking about that a lot, owning a dark room in mm -hmm. 2019, you know, like how, how do I get people <laughs> to come <laughs> to come? I mean, he, I feel like he's fairly successful with what he does. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's definitely regaining some popularity. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, we'll go on to the next one. And this one, this question comes from where are we now at? Where are we now on Instagram? And he says, out of all the towns slash cities you visited, which one was your favorite to document? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to know this, too, because you've pretty much been <laughs> all here's over the, the place. Here, here's the interesting answer. I mean, obviously, I have a fondness for the West Coast because that's where I'm from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I try to separate that. The whole point of what I do is that it's all the same. That's really mm -hmm. the whole point, right? Yeah. So the Oklahoma photographs are photographs that I happened to make in Oklahoma. But there are prints in that show that will remind somebody from Iowa of many parts of Iowa. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are parts of the there are Texas photos from a plain view that look like things I've photographed years ago in California. So the whole point really of what I'm doing is it's all inclusive, really. It's all the same landscape because you're talking about the age of development right? You're talking about constant progression, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. what what that leaves in its wake. And we have, this is the American social landscape. It's a blanket thing. Whether you're, you're in Pennsylvania or California, you're going to find something new next to something old. Yeah. You're going to find traces of things that once were, that are no longer, but that are still somehow there and they've become a part of our collective everyday view, no matter where we are. So right. it's this constant sort of tug of war between old and new, man and nature, and progress, sort of disrupting the contented, <laughs> right? Yes. So mm -hmm. yes. a lot of the Oklahoma City stuff that I shot was from a distance. Instead of going into the heart of the city and documenting the buildings, I shot a lot of Tulsa from the outskirts where you can see economical differences, mm -hmm. structural differences, uh, progress differences, architectural difference, you know, architectural differences, you know, it's, and to, that's the real view of Tulsa. Mm. It's not, it's not interesting to me if I'm just sort of documenting the heart of the city yeah, cherry because there's the a reality stuff. that yeah. exists on the outside of the city and that's a more interesting view to me to kind of show to sh to show it from all sides so to speak right so you have this conflict and these environmental contradictions all over america right so in terms of being on the road yeah i love driving up the coast and going to big sur or mm. you know like seeing the pacific ocean or you know that's that's very enjoyable to me but at the same time i love roaming random small towns in oklahoma that's exciting to me yeah. so i don't know that i have a favorite place necessarily i'm just excited to be on the road and to literally see what i find around each new corner you know what i mean as i as i roll into a new town somewhere that i never imagined i would be in and that's very exciting to me and and so I, I kind of look at it as a continuation. Uh, you know, it's it's a new piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Every time I make a new exposure in some new place, it might be reminiscent of something I've shot before mm -hmm. or similar in some way. It's sort of a continuation. It's 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 new pieces of the puzzle. This 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 sort of hopefully big puzzle. Th that's that's really what I'm interested in. Yeah. People often ask, like at the exhibition, "What's your favorite photo?" and I and I never really have an answer mm. because that's always a hard question. It's tough. Because I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. It's 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 as tough for me as as answering the question of what my favorite place is. 
mm. because I'm trying to look at it as much as I can as all being relatively the same. Yeah. If, if that makes any sense. It's a collection rather than like a single. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a collection. And you know, we, we, we still have the same America that Walker Evans was photographing mm. and William Christenberry was mm. photographing and Robert Adams and Henry Wessel. And you know, the, the, the new topographics movement, or I don't know if you want to use the word movement, but the new topographics exhibition in 1975 at the George Eastman Museum. I mean, this is this is a, this is an exhibition that people either understood or they didn't understand. Yeah. But this is when we really kind of started seeing this this kind of documentation of this America, you know, yeah. um, just as it lay, as it is, all these conflicts and. It's amazing. If you get the new topographics book, there's a transcribed interview in there that a college student did with a couple. And the man was defending the exhibition and his girlfriend was uh, was not interested in it at all. She didn't oh, understand. <laughs> why are these photographs? I don't understand why why this should be considered Jeez. photography. And I mean, this is a, maybe a whole other podcast. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but... I mean, you know, there's there, you know, that but uh, I'm sort of digressing here. But anyway, I, I I think my it sounds cheesy or whatever, but my favorite place, honestly, is just wherever I am mm. when I'm there. On That's the road. a good answer. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I know I'm going to find something exciting, something interesting, something familiar, something new. But it's all somehow tied together going back 13 years now for me. Mm. And um, and and so the journey continues. Mm. love it yeah that was love great it. that was a great answer <laughs> it's a great answer <laughs> so now we have the the hard questions to ask <laughs> so this is this is if you had to choose one camera like your desert island this is the last camera i could ever use what would it be and why it would probably be the same graphlex four by five that i've been using it's got an old 1941 uncoded Kodak Ektar 127 millimeter lens Ooh. on it. It just feels like my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, yep. it's just banged up. It's been many thousands of miles and, and, uh, yeah, it just, it just has a, a certain kind of familiarity, uh, familiarity to me and a certain smell, I think. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something? Yeah. Camera, yeah. But, um, I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it feels kind of like, you know, like my dog or something, mm, yeah, like yeah. my little buddy, you know. <laughs> Love that. I mean, I have my Leica M6 still, the very first one I bought in 2002. Of course, I'd never get rid of that, mm. but but I just like the uh, the old Graflex for some reason. Is there anything you are lusting after, like your white whale, something you haven't shot yet, but you always wanted to? Uh, Gear-wise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm pretty low maintenance. You know, like I said, uh, I do have the Mamiya 7.2 and that's what I used for the, all the medium format stuff for the Oklahoma series. Oh, cool. That's a great cool. camera mm. with, with the 65 millimeter lens, but, uh, not, not really. I don't really get too much into gear other than kind of what I have. Uh, yeah. I mean, I certainly would like to see more Polaroid film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably film more than cameras, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, can, same, find, you can find cameras. the The films that are going away, that's yeah. a little tougher. Yeah, I try not to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it gets me, gets me sad. Yeah, but that is a book recommendation. The, yeah. the new topographics book. I'm, topographics, I, I know. Okay. I know that 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 sort of uh, you know gained a lot of popularity over the years after that exhibition was essentially considered somewhat of a failure really but it, you know yeah it was not well received hmm. but now of course it's much more acceptable mm -hmm. to go out and explore the ordinary right you know what i mean and just kind of ex you know shoot photos of just what you see out there and and all of these sort of contradictions robert adams the new west is a great book too that's yeah, 70s yeah. photos of um developing colorado and so of Ooh. course there's a lot of conflict there between sort of the nature that once was and this this development of of the new west so i i yeah i i draw a lot from from that sort of that approach i guess william christenberry's work is great too also re, uh people should read the book why people photograph by robert adams oh 
He's a great writer. There's great insight there. He was a, a professor of English for about seven or eight years at UCLA mm. before he started photographing. So the way he writes about photography is incredible. But he writes a lot about that, about the early photographers and what they were able, how they must have seen things mm. before the evolution, so to speak, of pollution yeah. wow. uh, development. Yeah. And so that's ultimately why people maybe stop buying into the Ansel Adams thing, because outside of his very beautiful documentations of Yosemite, there was a shitty landscape yeah. Mm. of yeah. litter and garbage and strip malls and, mm. you know, or, uh, you know, uh, that forms varying degrees of degradation. And eventually people stopped caring so much about architecture and style and design and things just start popping up and we have sort of we are now a shopping mall country uh, and true. so when that early <laughs> photography started uh, surfacing documenting this kind of shopping mall America and th these weird contrasts between sort of the old and the new and and basically what man is doing to, mm -hmm. to, 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 to the landscape that became that's more the reality I mean and what Ansel Adams did is certainly gorgeous. Yeah. You know, but I think it, for certain people, it became more interesting to see, well, what do you see outside of that view? And what do you see on your way to Yosemite? <laughs> right. You know, what is this real kind of America out here yeah. and, and what's, what's, what's happening with this, this landscape? So, yeah, I, I, early on, I found myself being kind of interested in Kristen Berry's stuff and Joel Sternfeld's book, American Prospects was one that I had kind of early on. And then the Robert Adams stuff, Walker Evans. And then Eugene at Jay in Paris, you know, he was he was shooting buildings in Paris. He was shooting this sort of ordinary, ordinary everyday views of Paris. Back wow. alleys and, you know, it wasn't pretty pictures of the Eiffel Tower. Right. It was cracked cobblestone roads and cracked buildings. And it was, you know, just whatever it was, just everyday views. So I think you could sort of trace it back to at Jay and then Walker Evans is a noted kind of influence on a lot of the American photographers that kind of started going out and just kind of shooting these kind of ordinary everyday scenes that are very much a part of our view of the landscape. Mm. Just some recommendations there. Yeah, no, I love oh, that. So, so, I love sorry, that. Thank sorry you. If I went on, sorry if I went on a little no. too long. No, no. I just made a list of things I got to do I was, after yeah, this. I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll That's leave. Awesome. Uh, we'll make sure to leave some links to these books in the show notes and stuff to you guys, just so you can yeah. check it out. <clears throat> For sure. Yeah, Why People Photograph is a really important book to read. I've heard. I've been recommended that too before. Yeah, it's yeah. really great. It's I need, really I great. Need to get my hands on check that. Check it out. Me too. Man. All right. Well, Jason, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been awesome chatting with you. We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, where can everybody check out your work? Uh, JasonLeeFilm.com and then Instagram when I'm on it. Like I think <laughs> most humans, I have a love-hate relationship yeah. with Instagram at this point. But um, And then, you know, if anybody uh, uh, feels uh, inclined to take a road trip, I've got my work yeah. up in Tulsa right now at Philbrook but I'm so honored I'm it's, thank you so much for this I love talking about photography oh, I could yeah. keep going on but I don't want to take up any more of your time <laughs> um, I really appreciate it and um, thank you guys so much it was nice to meet you over this uh, this technology here yeah the future <laughs> yeah it's amazing it is it's crazy alright guys first off we want to thank Jason Lee Jason thanks so much for being on the show we had such a good time. It was, again, like we said at the beginning, it was just such a such a great time getting to hear your story and your insight on photography. You had some great answers. We had some fun laughs. It was just a really, really fun time. Thanks again. Also, guys, that brings us to Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash analog talk. We have a bunch of little tiers over there. Any little bit of support helps the show, helps us free up some extra time from our busy work schedules to produce this show and get guests on and all that fun stuff. You know, we have some benefits over there, some print giveaways, some live streams, some after show stuff. So check it out for all the Patreons already that help support the show, guys. Thank you so much. Your support means the absolute world to us. 
Also, one last favor to ask. Take one second, if you have the time, head over to iTunes, subscribe to Analog Talk. Leave a little review and a comment. All that stuff kind of helps boost the show and puts it in, you know, puts it in the eyes of other people interested in film photography and hearing, you know, from all these different guests and stuff like that. So thanks so much for all the support, guys. We are actually going to be taking a couple weeks off. Chris is in Israel right now on a little vacation. So it'll be about two or three weeks until we get back to you guys. So enjoy your summer and we'll see you soon. Later. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.